Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and in this uh, episode we're going to rethink uh, a little bit uh, the famous Solzhenitsyn book uh, The Gulag Archipelago and see if we can come up with some new interpretations on the idea of the Gulag system within the Soviet Union because there is a raft of modern writing on the subject which looks at it from a variety of different perspectives. The Second World War, uh, Solzhenitsyn, in February 1945, whilst in East Prussia, was uh, arrested by the Soviet secret police for making a comment about Stalin and his conduct of the war in uh, a letter to a friend. He was accused of anti-Soviet propaganda under Article 58 of the Soviet Criminal Code and given a lengthy jail sentence. He uh, was taken to the Lubyanka prison where he was interrogated and after being sentenced in absentia, he was given an eight-year jail sentence in a Soviet labour camp. Following Khrushchev's secret speech in 1956, uh, Solzhenitsyn was uh, freed, he was exonerated and uh, returned home and in 1960 with the express permission of Khrushchev his first book, uh, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, uh, an account of life in the Gulag, was picked up by Novimir magazine and then um, two years later in 62, again with Khrushchev's blessing, was published. It was read in schools. Uh, Khrushchev, when he was questioned on this, said there was a Stalinist in all of us and this evil must be rooted out. And it was part of Khrushchev's wider policy to differentiate himself from Stalin and to present uh, a, a different view of the Soviet Union. The thaw, which uh, began in 1956, um, ultimately brought around a degree of chaos that the party uh, old guard didn't like and it was one of the reasons for uh, Khrushchev's uh, downfall in 1965. 
By the time the Gulag Archipelago had been published in 1973, um, the day in the life of Ivan Denisovich had done its work. It was a, um, an enormously important uh, work of fiction that, well, obviously, a fiction based on, on realities uh, that uh, had sent shockwaves around the world and had a, a significant role to play in discrediting the last um, aspects of the Soviet Union which had been uh, lauded by the foreign uh, fellow traveller movement throughout the 1930s to the 1950s. And anything possibly progressive about the Soviet Union uh, that people had uh, mistakenly uh, latched on to and thought really was solid and coherent uh, certainly transpires after reading Denisovich not to not be that. The Gulag Archipelago was a history of the camps and it in its various sections it traced the uh, development of the system uh, from 1918 to 1956 looking at the um, original orders of Lenin to set up a system of incarceration for political prisoners and troublemakers and looks at the development of the system throughout uh, Stalin. Um, for the time, it's a, a really important book, but there are now revisionist ideas which suggest that the notion itself of it being an archipelago is slightly outdated based on what we now understand. So if we were to consider the analogy for one moment, um, the camps are dotted like small islands across the Soviet Union, but when an individual wound up in a camp, they were not quite as hermetically sealed from the rest of the Soviet Union uh, as it might first appear. They were not essentially stuck on an island. The publication um, of the Gulag Archipelago offered a damning indictment of the Soviet regime and created this mental map um, that has really dominated most of the scholarly and popular works on the subject ever since. If you imagine that the secrecy surrounding the Soviet camps and their separateness um, and their geographical and physical remoteness from anything uh, that people, not just in the West, but even in uh, Russia, were able to physically deal with. And the uh, compare that to the other system that was far more accessible to people in the post-war era, the Nazi system of camps, which following the defeat of Nazi Germany, were largely there and open and on display and uh, most of the secrets surrounding them had been uh, swept away. It did encourage people to uh, embrace this idea of the archipelago, of the notion that it was a closed system that wasn't discussed in wider Soviet society. Um, and once an individual was stuck into it, they devoured and were never seen uh, again. Our mental map for the gulags was essentially 
the camps of the Nazis, because so little was known about the gulags, um, that there was only one other one equivalent, and it was, you know, as taken as read that the Nazi camps and the Soviet camps must be rather similar. Well, actually not. Now, I've been reading an article in the 2015 summer edition of Critica magazine by the academic David Shearer on the Soviet Gulag system, the Soviet Gulag and Archipelago. So what I'm getting here is drawn from um, this this writing. And what David Shearer has, has done is done a literary, uh, literature review of a number of different writers on the subject of the gulags. Now, I can't uh, have, I haven't got the time basically in this podcast to go through everything that's said on the topic of the um, revision to the notion of the gulag archipelago, but I'm going to try and give you some of the highlights because it is really important. And the way in which we think about the camps is constantly uh, evolving uh, and emerging because new evidence is coming to light. So instead of the camps being an archipelago, new metaphors are being coined um, to talk about the very fluid and dynamic relationship between the camps and the rest of Soviet society. So the revolving door or the porous boundary is a much more accurate way of looking at the camp. Prisoners um, had, they were, it's quite possible to have several sentences in the camps uh, where one might do have a, uh, a five-year spell, 18 months outside the camps, then re-arrest and reincarceration for another seven years and perhaps have another five-year sentence on top of that. One of the absurdities of Stalinism was pointed out by Michel Foucault, the historian and philosopher of ideas, who spent a lot of time thinking about the development of prisons and incarceration. And Foucault pointed out that there was a kind of an absurdity about a worker's state that used labour both to define citizenship, i.e. Um, what kind of, how, how valid a kind of citizen you were, dependent on the kind of work you actually did, and also a form of punishment. And there was a, a blatant contradiction between the goals and reality of Soviet penal practice, i.e. that um, there was supposedly a redemptive purpose of labour, i.e. that labour had a transform, transformative quality and that a, a bad kind of individual could be put into the camp system at one end and through the application of hard physical labour a redeemed proletarian soul could emerge at the other end. However, the reality, of course, is this redemptive labour often killed large numbers of the people that it was applied to. The, um, a, a different way of looking at uh, labour in the camps is actually, actually a kind of a far more Marxist one. The Marxist idea of profit is that profit comes from surplus labour value, i.e. if somebody uh, produces £10 or $10 of value through their labour in an hour, by simply paying them five dollars or five pounds, you walk away with five dollars of pounds worth of pounds worth of profit. Well, the Soviet system did that 
on a vast scale. It was a vast system for extracting labour value from workers by paying them, by enslaving them, paying them nothing, half-starving them, and simply sucking the labour value quite literally out of their bodies. I suppose it's rather fitting in a a perverse and monstrous way that dictators uh, like Lenin and Stalin, steeped in Marxist theory and with a detailed understanding of Marxist economics, applied these notions in the most brutal way possible. It's worth saying here that this is probably not what Karl Marx had intended. The camps were captured for the first time in 1934, by uh, a group of writers and artists led by Maxim Gorky, who by this time had really sold himself to the Bolsheviks and become their laureates. Uh, The photographer Alexander Rodchenko um, created, uh, along with um, Gorky, uh, the notion of Perekovka, the idea of a myth of reforging, um, which I just talked about there, redemption through labor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, and, the, and they claimed that Petakovka was the basis of the Soviet labor camp system. They wrote a uh, what the the equivalent of a of the Soviet equivalent of a coffee table book, the Stalin White Sea um, Baltic Sea Canal, um, the Bielomor Canal, in which police officials uh, such as uh, Yagoda, the head of the NKVD, were treated as kinds of heroes. Their heroism was based around the idea that they had become uh, kind of engineers of the human condition, that they were reforming men and women through their labour and rescuing them from uh, bad pre-revolutionary behaviours that, in their eyes, had been 
learned through the kind of the wicked and iniquitous world of capitalism. And there were Soviet officials that believed in this. There were Soviet officials and probably indeed camp guards that on some level believed that they were trying to redeem in individuals. However, the system itself was not designed with this in mind. If it happened to be a byproduct of the Soviet system, then fine. But it was not designed with this goal at its heart. Instead, it was designed, as mentioned, as a vast sort of labour extraction system. The pioneer of this system, its father really, was Naftali Frenkel. Naftali Frenkel, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn believed, was a Turkish Jew from Constantinople who seemed to have been uh, caught up in the revolution somewhere um, and wound up as a prisoner in the Sovaletsky Islands. Um, He was arrested in 1923 for illegally crossing borders. Nobody knows quite what that means. He could have been a smuggler or some kind of merchant and given a 10-year sentence of hard labour in the Sovaletsky Islands in the White Sea Um, which becomes the first camp system of the Gulag. It was the uh, system that all of the Gulags were roughly based around. Um, He became, he rose quickly from being a prisoner to being a staff member on the strength, basically, of his proposal that the uh, camp administration link inmates' food rations to their rate of production, something that was rolled out through all camps um, throughout the Gulag system uh, until really the 1950s. The, uh, what Frankel manages to do to pull strings and give himself this kind of advantage, no one really knows, and the story of Frankel is lost in a lot of uh, mythology, but supposedly when he, he arrived in the uh, Solovetsky Islands and saw how much waste was engendered, how much um, potential revenue the island camp was moving out on, losing out on, Um, he was able to show in the manner of a kind of a a skilled capitalist um, that the industries that existed there, which were forestry, farming and brick making, could be made so much better and could generate badly needed revenue for the state. Uh, Yagoda... Um, curiously came to see him and suddenly uh, realised that he was onto something. Uh, supposedly, Frankel actually was taken to Moscow to speak with Stalin and Kaganovich. Um, how much of this, again, is myth-making, it's, it's difficult to know. But Frankel uh, emerged as one of the camp's commanders. Um, Solzhenitsyn said... Uh, again, that he uh, created the eat-as-you-work system, um, which resulted in the deaths of weaker prisoners who slid down the scale very quickly, and the prisoners who were able to uh, work hard were the ones that survived. Um, The historian of the Gulag, um, Anne Applebaum, says, Even if Frengel did not invent every aspect of the system, he did find a way to turn a prison camp into an apparently profitable economic institution, 
and he did so at a time, in a place, and in a manner which may well have brought the idea to the attention of Stalin. The historian Golfo Alexopoulos argues that there is no redemptive quality to uh, the Soviet camp system, and that, as Solzhenitsyn has argued, it was its primary role was the destruction of individuals. Um, it was the exploitation of human beings um, by wringing every ounce of work from them, and the uh, reason why there were frequent um, amnesties and frequent um, releases of thousands of prisoners were that these were the prisoners that were no longer any use. Uh, they were weakened or dying, and they had no labour left within them, no physical strength left within them to contribute. So it's important to get these net consumers of resources off the balance sheet of the camp as quickly as possible, dump them back into society where they can wither away and die, uh, or not, who cares, uh, and get in fresh labour as quickly as possible. The camp system operates more like a kind of Dickensian workhouse, or far worse, in fact, than anything that the workhouses ever came up with. And it paradoxically, for a socialist institution or a, an institution organ of a notionally socialist state, a more ruthless system of labour exploitation could not possibly have been dreamt up of, uh, even in the kind of the exploiting capitalist world. It really is the um, absolute kind of epitome of uh, labour value extraction. Labour is only extracted at a higher uh, rate in the death camps of the Nazi regime that double up as labour camps as well, specifically Auschwitz-Birkenau, where the inmates had a lifespan of three months. And this is because the camp has a purpose, the the Nazi camps have the purpose of uh, systems of labour extraction, but also of uh, factories of genocide as well. The fact that the prisoners were Jewish and were earmarked for annihilation anyway as quickly as possible meant that if some labour could be extracted from them in the meantime, this was a good thing. But the genocidal uh, element was the, the real end game. In 1934, uh, major changes happened to the police state. Um, it's reorganised from a being simply a political police force searching out class enemies and protecting uh, the revolution into providing security for the state itself. The uh, This was now the institutions that controlled the Gulag system and they were no longer there to fight for revolution but to protect institutions that were now established. And this sees, uh, after 1934, um, a significant decline in the supposed redemptive quality of the camps. Instead, the camps are simply seen as places for the the destruction of enemies or the utilisation of the labour of enemies. And because it was decided after 1934 that rehabilitation was no longer possible, 
and that rehabilitation was no longer desirable and simply society needed to be protected from bad elements. That the bad elements, such as kulaks, when their sentences were finished, were told that they would not be allowed to go home to uh, the, the communities that they had come from. Instead, that they now had to be moved to special areas. So that when they were allowed out of the gulags, being sent off to um, special areas uh, meant that they existed in a, almost like a parallel camp system. And it's the transition between the special areas or special settlements as they're known um, and cities that the uh, former inmates are uh, allowed into. And sometimes the shift of reincarceration back into the camp system um, that creates this semi-permeable membrane between the camps and the uh, wider world. It was difficult to actually step back into normal life really until the Khrushchev thaw of the 1950s. But there was a kind of a grey zone between the camps and the rest of Russian society that former inmates were able to exist in. It was uh, not a particularly pleasant existence. It was perhaps mildly better than the camps, but certainly still still fairly miserable and one with all manner of restrictions, forced labour and the chance, with one false word, to wind up back in the camps once again. So, just to recap... The original picture of the Gulag Archipelago was massively influential and important and a real uh, eye-opener for the rest of the world on the nature of the camps. Perhaps needs to be revised in order to uh, look at uh, contemporary research and realities which show that instead of the Gulag Archipelago uh, existing, a revolving door between the gulag system and the rest of the Russian, the rest of Russian society, uh, did appear to be there. Anyway, thanks for this, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. If you can give us a review on iTunes, that'd be great. And also keep an eye out for our Patreon page. Thanks. All the best. Bye bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.